Good morning. Today is Sunday, December 20th, 2020. With the arrival of vaccines for COVID, thank God, come a number of significant questions that Jewish law addresses. First question is, should you take the vaccine? And the answer is yes, you should take the vaccine. Unless you have a medical contraindication, our greatest halakhic authorities in the world today, in consultation with greatest medical authorities, have studied this very, very carefully, and they strongly endorse taking the vaccine as soon as it is possible. I plan to do so, and I urge you and everyone else to do so. Obviously, in the unlikely event that new information becomes available, we will adjust as needed. But the way things look now, it is a halachic imperative to take the vaccine as soon as possible. The next question, given the current scarcity of the vaccine, is who should get it first? But today, I'd like to focus on a more narrow question, which will have an effect on the earlier question, but a more narrow question. This is a question I saw raised in a newspaper article in Haaretz, but it raises some very important issues in Jewish law. Question is like this. As you know, there are vaccine trials going on all over the world. There are tens and tens of thousands of people who are already in the midst of trials that volunteers who have taken some other vaccine and the results are being studied and the results will lead to either being able to have other vaccines, which is extremely important because so far not any of the vaccines we have is nearly enough for everybody. So right now we need more vaccines. And of course, it could very well be that other vaccines in the long run will be better. So the research continues. Here's the question. Let's say I have a person who is participating in another vaccine trial already. Now, the gold standard for vaccine testing, like other kinds of medical testing, is a double-blind study. That means that the person who is receiving the vaccine, as well as the person who is giving the vaccine, does not know if the person is receiving the actual vaccine or a placebo. Half get the vaccine, half get the placebo. No one knows which is which. And then we make sure there are no other variables as much as we can make sure. And then we look at the two groups. And this provides the most accurate results when given to a large number of volunteers over a period of time. If someone is already participating in another vaccine trial and they now get the Pfizer vaccine, as an example, or the Moderna vaccine, then their data will be useless because now they've introduced a new variable. 
how will you know what happens to them is is an effect of the first vaccine or the second vaccine? So in order to preserve the integrity of the original test that they started, it is necessary that they not receive a new vaccine. Even if you were to divide the original volunteers and say to them, listen, the half of people that got the real other vaccine that we're testing, you got the real vaccine. But the half that got the placebo, listen, you only got a placebo anyway, you might as well go get the proven vaccine, but that would destroy the element of the double blind test. That would mean that the results that come from that test do not have the same definitive nature as they would if the double blind criteria was maintained throughout the entire trial. So that means that the lessons that we will learn from this other vaccine will not be definitive. They will be impaired. Possibly meaning that potentially people that could be helped by it, protected by it, their lives saved by it, we will not have the information to know if that is the case. On the other hand, once there is a working vaccine that has more than 90% effective rate with so far almost no significant side effects, doesn't the individual have the right and perhaps even the obligation to do whatever they can to protect themselves? Even if it means dropping out of the trial, even if it means causing that a definitive judgment on the other vaccine will be impaired, will fail. This question boils down to a fundamental question, which is at the root of many dilemmas in medical ethics and in other areas of life. Which comes first? The right of the individual subject or patient or the greater scientific good, which may save more lives, even if this individual life is God forbid, endangered. This is a very serious, complicated issue with many Jewish sources and many opinions. There is no simple, single answer to this question. What I'd like to share with you very briefly now is just one source and one path of analysis, but I want to make it very, very clear. What I'm going to share with you now is not the only source on this question. It's not the only opinion on this question. And I do not share this with you in order to provide an answer to this question now. I am not answering this question. What I want to share with you is just the methodology to point out how our classical sources can be used for these kinds of questions and what kind of analysis our greatest authorities use in trying to grapple with these questions. 
there is a Mishnah in the Talmud Masakta Gittin. The Mishnah describes a situation that was common in ancient times, and unfortunately, it is it is becoming more frequent even today. But it was much more common in former times. It was common that a person would be kidnapped for ransom. And this was a money-making scheme. And so the Mishnah says, Ein poden es yoser al We do not ransom a captive for more than the regular value, more than the going rate. First of all, it's fascinating that at the time of the Talmud, there was something as a going rate. That is, getting captured, getting uh, 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 held captive for money, it's something that happened, and there was a rate, there was a market, there was a normal price. So if it's the normal price, so then that's, you know, that's, that's the cost of doing business. So that you would have to pay, that you're allowed to pay if you can afford it. But what happens if an excessive ransom is demanded? And of course, in a case of uh, ransom, potentially the person's life is in danger. Clearly, if the captive is killed, the captors are not going to get the money that they wanted, but that is always a threat. And even as we see today, sometimes that happens. So we're not allowed to pay this excessive amount for a captive. Why? The Gemara says, I'm sorry, the Mishnah says, for the benefit of society. What does that mean? That means that if you pay an excessive ransom, it will have two consequences, three consequences. Number one, the individual will be saved. Number two, everyone else will be put at risk, greater risk, because one's captors know that an excessive ransom demand will be met, that will simply incentivize more captures, higher and higher ransoms. Communities will become bankrupt. They will use up all of their funds and eventually people will start getting killed. The way to protect the larger society, what is best for society in general, is not to pay excessive ransoms. The problem with that, of course, is that it puts the individual who is captured at greater risk. How do you balance the need of this captive whose life may, life may be sacrificed? And there is the funds available. But if that happens, a larger number of people are put at risk. So the Mishnah says the needs of the community take precedence over the needs of the individual. One of our greatest halakhic authorities, especially in the area of medical ethics, 
was Rabbi Shlomo Zalman, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman passed away in 1995 and his rulings stand today as basic and fundamental rulings in the subject of Jewish medical ethics and any other area of Jewish law. And he wrote that while this question is a very, very different question, a very difficult question, and it is hard to give a definitive answer, he wrote concerning testing vaccines during a pandemic. He was writing in the 1990s, but he wrote about such a situation. He wrote, when there is a public health emergency, the community or the society needs to see this as an act of war, a milchemes mitzvah, a war designed to protect the population. And we know in war, the sovereign, the state, can send soldiers into war, even though it means that they are risking their lives in order to protect the society, in order to protect the state. And since Rav Shlomo Zalman says uh, a pandemic testing a vaccine is in the category of war, that means that in this situation, the needs of the greatest number of people must take priority. That would argue that the individual must be required to remain in the test, even though there's a 50% chance that person only received the placebo. It means that that person will not get this new vaccine, which is proven. It means that there is a higher risk of infection to that person. Of course, there are other measures to take. It's not so black and white. There are other measures to take. They can be completely and strictly careful about the precautions in order to prevent against infections. But the priorities of the many overcome those of the individual. Again, I do not mean this as a final ruling on this question. I only mean to show how Jewish sources utilize, are utilized by our contemporary halakhic authorities in conjunction with medical experts in order to try to arrive at answers to these very, very difficult questions. May Hashem protect us from even trying to have to address this type of question. And please remember, the most effective vaccine is of no help whatsoever unless we survive to take it. Every one of us now, especially now, we need to increase our caution and our vigilance to hopefully make it so that we can receive this vaccine. My friends, I wish you a very good and safe day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.